Well, church family, happy new year. Woohoo! It is January 2nd, and I want you to know that you are beginning the year in church, and that is an excellent choice. Amen. Way to be here. Now, the insurance companies might have a little bit of a different viewpoint driving on those roads, but we are glad that you are here. And I want to begin this morning by asking you a question, something that connects with you right where you are right this very minute. What are you expecting today in worship? What are you expecting in this particular moment? Now, sometimes when we come into a worship service, we kind of just kind of have a lot of busyness going on, a lot of things happening in our lives, and we just kind of barely get in here. But I know some of you come in here and you're saying, hey, uh, Pastor, I expect a good message. You better deliver this morning, okay? I got up, I got a shower, I shaved on a Sunday. You better deliver a good message. And there's others of us who would say, you know what, I came to sing. I came here today because I want to sing. I want to be encouraged by the music that we sing as God's people. And still others of us would say, you know what, I have no expectation. I'm here for my kids. I'm trying to raise my kids the right way, so we bring them to church. The kids' ministry teaches them and guides them. I am here for no other reason than for the development of my children. Actually, those answers are okay-ish. They are good-ish. But what I want for us to do today is to evaluate our hearts and evaluate the expectation that we walked in those doors with this morning. And what my hope is, is that we would be able to increase our expectation of worship. That when we walk in those doors, you are going to be having a higher view and a higher level of expectation next Sunday than you did when you walked in the doors this Sunday. Now, I'm not talking about the sermon. I'm not speaking of the worship music. And I'm not laying that on our kids' ministry team. Instead, what I am hoping that you will walk out of here today with is a fresh new perspective on what it means when we gather for worship. You see, when we turn to God's Word today, what we're going to find is that worship is a holy experience. It is something that is participatory. We engage in it. We don't just come and watch some other people do it. We participate in it. It is participatory. And we should come with a measure of expectancy. But I want to be very clear about this point. And if you take nothing from the sermon, I want you to take this. Worship is not about what we receive. Worship is about what we give. It's about what we give. And we're going to look at a couple of different texts in just a moment that are going to help us understand that on a couple of different and very important levels. But I do want us to do that after we pray. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you have invited us here today. You've called us here 
And God, we have many things on our minds. We've just celebrated Christmas and we've been with family and other people might be uh, uh, friends of ours that we've connected with and some people are dealing with illness and there's so many things swirling around in our, in our heads and our hearts today. And it is my hope that in this very moment, God, that you would meet with us. That in the stillness and the quietness of these next few moments, that you would meet with each and every person here through the power of your Spirit. God, we need to hear from you today. Not just me talking, not Jacob and the worship team singing. We need to hear from you today. And so we invite you through the truth of your word to teach us today. God, your word has everything we need to live out our faith journey in real, practical, significant ways. And so God, we ask that you would give us eyes to see the truth of your word. God, we ask for ears to hear this truth and then humble, pliable hearts that can be molded and shaped by your Holy Spirit over these next few moments to live out this truth. And we ask this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few times each calendar year, as Jacob mentioned, I have an opportunity to uh, share something that I believe is of particular importance to our church family, to the White Lake community. Now, most of you know that we are part of Woodside, and that means we are uh, one church in 15 different locations. And so what that means is on any given Sunday, I am preaching the same text that is being taught in Plymouth, and the same text that is being taught in Lapeer, and the same text that is being taught in Chester field. We're all teaching the same biblical text, not today. Today is one of those opportunities that I have that I can share something that I believe is very important for us as a church community as we head into the new, the new year. But as we head into the new year, I want to take us back for just a moment. In the past two years, much has changed in the church. Can we all agree to that? Much has changed, both globally and locally. What I mean by that is the church universal, the church around the globe, the church in the other side of our country, as well as Woodside Bible Church. Now, few are actually going to discuss it from the pulpit, but I'm going to go ahead and say a few very specific things because I think transparency and honesty is incredibly important, particularly on a Sunday for our church family. Research suggests that many churches are struggling to reach 50% of the attendance and the participation that they had pre-COVID. Most churches are struggling to reach 50% of where they were. I'm going to do the math. If, you, if this was a church of 500 people, now most churches are struggling to get 250 people to participate in consistent worship week after week. That's what's going on around our country. Now, here at White Lake we are averaging about two-thirds of our pre-COVID numbers. When you factor in those who watch online, those who connect on Facebook on Sundays, that number bumps up to about three-quarters of where we were pre-COVID. Now, as your pastor, as a shepherd of God's flock, as that is what God has called me to do as a pastor, I want you to know that those numbers grieve me. 
whether it's the 50% for the global church or the the big C church or the two-thirds that are here. I'm thankful for those of you who are here, but my heart grieves those who are not. Now, maybe not for the reasons that you might expect. Candidly, I love to see the life in our church. I love to see it when there are families and people and friends gathering and connecting in the lobby. There's just a life that's going on here. That is awesome. But that's not why I'm grieving. As a pastor, I love to be able to share God's word with a, a room full of people. But that's not why I'm grieving. The reason that all of us who care about God's church should be grieving in this moment is different. I'm grieving today because what this means, what those numbers mean are the people who once gathered and worshiped together side by side with their brothers and their sisters in faith are no longer doing it with the same level of consistency. They're no longer doing it with the same level of faithfulness. Now, we all know some people who are choosing to stay home in this season, and we have many people who, who have to do that for medical reasons and, and for other important reasons, and I respect that. I'm not speaking to those folks. Most of the people who watch online each week are very faithful in doing so. Many of you, when you travel, you connect and you stay uh, connected with your church family, and I hope that you do. Even if you're maybe not here as consistently as you, as you could be, you're staying connected with us online. I hope that that is your experience. But the reason that I'm troubled, that I'm grieved, and that I hope that you are too, is because worship matters. Worship matters. One prominent theologian put it this way. He said, Christian worship is the most glorious action that can take place in the human life. Let me say that one more time. It is the most glorious action that can take place in the human life. That's what he would describe of the worship experience. And so that's why today, we are going to be looking at the scriptures to find two important emphases of what happens when we gather for corporate worship. We are going to look at a couple of different texts, but the first one we're going to dig into comes from John's gospel. So if you have your Bible, uh, let me encourage you to go to John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 23 and 24. If you do not have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, we have some out in the lobby for you if you would like one. Uh, if you are uh, just the kind of person who wants to watch it on the screen, please do so. It will be behind me. John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. Here's what... Jesus says. But the hour is coming. And the hour is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Two times in that text, Jesus proclaims this kind of tandem. What was it? We are going to worship in worship in spirit and truth. 
Many of you have probably heard that before. You may have even heard me pray that. You've heard Jacob mention that when we're leading out a song. You're familiar with that. But here's what I want to dig into a little bit today. What does that actually mean? When we're talking about worship in spirit and in truth, what does it mean? We're going to parse those out and we're going to begin with the word spirit. What Jesus means here is that it's the Holy Spirit who ignites faith within us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who awakens us to the reality of the power and the majesty and the beauty of our God. That's what the Spirit does. And it is the Holy Spirit who moves our head, our heart, and our hands to worship our God. See, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is through that power that your spirit and mine take this humble-hearted posture of praise for all that God has done for you and for me in the person and the work of Jesus. The Spirit stirs that up in us to bring us to a point of humility that we can have this true and right posture of a believer, one of worship. Because it is only through Christ that men and women and children can experience the forgiveness of sin. That's because of Jesus. And it is only through the power of the Spirit that we can see that Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross was payment for your sin and mine. That's the work of Christ, that you and I can experience God's grace by faith when God works in us through the power of His Spirit. And that is why you and I are invited to worship in spirit and in truth. So let's get to the second word. The second word is, in fact, truth. Now, this has multiple meanings, multiple layers, so I want you to track with me, if you will. The first and most obvious is that we must worship God as He is revealed in His Word, in the Holy Scriptures. That if I am standing up here speaking about something that is contrary to the Word of God, if Jacob is leading us in a song that is contrary to the Word of God, we're doing it wrong. We must worship as He is revealed to us in the Scriptures. So what we sing, what we pray, and what we teach must align with the teachings of God and His character that we find on the pages of Scripture. If it is not, you should hold me accountable. If it is not, if that is not happening in our church, you should hold me accountable. And that's one side, that we focus on the reality of worshiping in truth and the truth that aligns with everything we do and say from this stage and in this room as the people of God, that it aligns with God and His Word. Now, the next one is a little bit different. It's a little bit more personal. It speaks to the truthfulness and honesty of our own heart. You and I should never pretend to worship ever when we walk through those doors now is the time for engagement now is the time for business we are here to meet and to engage with a holy and righteous god we don't pretend 
We don't go through the motions. What they're speaking of here is the truth as it aligns to God's Word, but the truthfulness and the honesty and the integrity of our own hearts. We must worship God with a heart posture that is honest and real before our God. That's what He asks of you and of me when we enter here. Not to be fake. I want to be very clear about something. Oftentimes, people have this view of church that, man, I got to look good. I got to clean myself up. They won't like me there unless I am perfect. That is not at all what I'm talking about. Not at all. What I am talking about is real and authentic, and that you are honest with God about your struggle about your faith journey, about the highs and the lows of what you are experiencing on that faith journey. Church, we are called to worship in spirit and in truth. I love the way John Piper breaks down the essence of worship. When he expenses, when, you, when he speaks to the, the kind of idea that you can do one at the expense of the other. Here's what he writes. He says, truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full of artificial admirers. Dead orthodoxy. Bunch of people just walking in, faking it, leaving. On the other hand, emotion without truth, so if you've got the spirit working up, you've got that, but you don't have truth, what that produces is an empty frenzy and it cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. It's all emotion. There's no truth. There's no substance to it. And so what Piper calls this true is true worship. And he says true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. It is both. It is spirit and it is truth. That is what we talk about when we engage in a biblical view of worship. So when you and I gather together, Jesus invites us to experience worship in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the submission to His Word. It's a beautiful picture of what he's calling us to, and that gives us a very clear emphasis today of what corporate worship is. Worship is vertical in nature. Worship is vertical in nature. We bring our offering to a holy God. We do so in spirit, and we do so in truth. Now, you might say, well, that sounds cool, that sounds super religious, and that sounds like the right answer, but I have no idea what that means. We're going to help you with that. Let's look back to the scriptures. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. It's kind of in the center of the New Testament. We're going to be looking at Colossians 3 verse 16. Hear the words of the apostle Paul. Let the word of Christ, the truth, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our heart to God. 
It's vertical in nature. It's to God. So we sing psalms. Those are prayers to God. We sing hymns. Oftentimes hymns are rich in the character of God, of highlighting who God is and what He has done. So we sing psalms. They're prayers. We sing hymns. They speak to God's character. And then we get to the point where we speak spiritual songs. And oftentimes those give testimony to God's work in your life and in mine. And we proclaim those things to Him. We proclaim those things to Him with an upward, vertical posture. Now at this point, this morning, I'd like to invite Jacob Mason to our stage. Jacob is our new worship arts director. I say new because he's been here less than six months. And as Jacob is coming, I want you to know and say to you as a church family, you need to know that Jacob is a gift to our church. Can you affirm him in that, please? Thanks, buddy. Now, what you need to know is Jacob loves Jesus, he loves God's Word, and he loves incorporating both for you and for me when we get here on a Sunday. Now, Jacob, as, uh, as you and I got to know each other before you came on staff, uh, we had many things that we discussed and uh, have a very similar heart for worship. And that plays itself out on a Sunday morning when, when people come and when they experience worship. Um, can you give us a little view backstage, if you will, uh, and, and help our congregation understand a little bit of why we do what we do on a Sunday morning, why we pick the songs we pick, why we do those, those things? Yeah, for sure. Um, first of all, it's been a huge blessing to be here uh, with this White Lake Church family. Jordan and I and our family, um, it's just been so great to get to know all of you guys and worship with you guys week in and week out. We're so excited to do it for years to come. So I just wanted to say that. Um, But when we're planning our services, you know, there are a few filters that we kind of put our songs through. Obviously, the first broadest and most important filter is going to be our our theological or biblical filter. We have to make sure that the songs are honoring to God, you know. Colossians 3.16 starts with, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So if the, word in, if the word of Christ is not dwelling in these songs that we're singing, they're not, probably not worth singing at all because they're not going to be accurate of who God is and they're not going to be an accurate response as to how we ought to worship him. So that's our first filter that we go through. Uh, the other part of that is that we make sure that it's relevant to the message that we're preaching because many people don't understand that worship is not just the music. Worship is the preaching. Worship is the teaching. It's putting yourself underneath that teaching and allowing the Word of God to work in your hearts, yes, through the songs, but also through hearing the preaching of God's Word. Um, The other filter that we do is um, what people these days, I think, would call style. Um, But, you know, worship goes back as far back as centuries. In fact, a lot of theologians believe that the early church would sing some of these New Testament passages that we read um, a lot of the benedictions and things that we that Pastor Rob gives us at the end of service, those were actually songs that the early church would sing to each other. Um, and so we don't want to forget that the church has a rich history in worshiping God and a lot that we can learn from that. So another filter is we want to make sure that we both incorporate the ancient hymns as well as the contemporary music because they're still being great, like there are great songs still being Absolutely. written for God's church and for the edification 
of his saints. So we want to make sure that it's biblically sound, theologically sound, but it's also giving honor to the history of the church by singing both old as well as new songs. I love that because, you know, oftentimes when someone will, will come to faith, they can turn on Caleb and just hear something that's, you know, fresh and contemporary. And those are great. Those are great songs. But the church is older than 20 years old. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so that's important. So, Jacob, as, as you um, plan out and we look ahead to the next year, as you begin uh, your journey as our worship arts director, what is it that is on your heart for our congregation? Like, what do you want to see us experience when we're here and then lived out uh, in our homes and week after week? What does that, what does that look like? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the biggest part and the most foundational part of, of any church growing in establishing kind of a worship culture is establishing and developing a passion for God's word. And I truly believe that as a passion for God's word as a church is being established and growing and deepening, that our worship will then grow, that our worship will, will, will yep. be honoring enough for him. It, it'll be accurate as to who he is and what he's worthy of. And I think, you know, it's really hard. I, I don't know if many of you know me personally, I know I haven't gotten to meet each one of you, but for the past four years, I was working in a machine shop, automotive manufacturing shop in Shelby Township. It was an hourly job, you know, I was uh, working crazy hours. So I know what it's like to be working a job and then coming to church on Sunday and then some young punk gets up on the stage, hey, you ready to worship, guys? Let's go. Let's do it. And you're like, no, I'm not. I actually, I actually that's probably the last thing I want to do right now. So part of my desire is for us as a church, you know, to grow in that culture, to know that, hey, we're all experiencing different things outside of church. And so when we come in here, it can be hard to engage. It can be hard to come here and want to worship the Lord. But at the same time, we're called to a continual life of worship. So Sunday, this is not the one place that we worship the Lord. We worship him all throughout the week and what we do and what we say, the interactions we have with our coworkers, with our spouses, our kids, our friends, our neighbors. And so that this Sunday gathering would be just an overflow of the worship we've been experiencing all throughout the week. And that in that overflow, we'd be able to, I love how Colossians touches on that worship is is. Yes, it's vertical, but it's also horizontal. And Rob's going to be getting into that after. But that we're to teach and admonish one another. And I think when we look at the church as a family, because that's what we are, we are a family of God. When we look at ourselves as a family, we can look around the room and we can know what each person is going through. And then all of a sudden when we come here and we worship on Sunday, it kind of takes a focus off ourselves and it allows us to, to be singing these songs for one another, to one another, when we're thinking about one another. And it's the same as a marriage. You know, when you have a healthy marriage, it's all based on you're sacrificing your own needs for the needs of your spouse. And it should be the same way as a family. When we come in here, yes, worship is personal, and it can be personal. And it's okay if it's personal here on Sundays. Mm -hmm. But to teach and admonish one another with the truths that we're singing about, that is what I hope our church can grow in and grow towards by the grace of God. Well, now that we have seen and practiced some vertical worship, I want to look at another 
emphasis of corporate worship that we get to experience as followers of Christ. We're going to turn once again to a letter from the Apostle Paul. This time, we're going to be looking at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Paul writes, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. I love that because what Paul is doing is he is casting vision for unity among the believers that are in Ephesus. Now, what we might often do is when we turn to Ephesus or we turn to another one of Paul's letters, just recognize that, oh, he's writing to a group of believers in a particular place. But this time, when we talk about Ephesus, it's important for us to remember that Ephesus is a cultural hub of activity. Ephesus was a port city, and so therefore you had a lot of people coming, you had a lot of people going. There's a lot of movement in and around Ephesus. And so at first glance, it's easy to recognize that there would be a lot of diversity within a city like that. When you speak of Ephesus, it was a place that was very diverse and there was a lot of different nuances and different people groups within the body of Christ there. And Paul wants to bring unity among those believers. And what he encourages is worship. What he encourages is worship. Now, what he does in that text, I love it because it literally puts together what we looked at in John and then what we looked at in Colossians. He kind of brings it all together, only this time the emphasis is different. The emphasis is one another. The emphasis is for the body of Christ. So let's look a little bit more closely and see what I mean. In verse 18, Paul encourages believers to be filled by the Spirit. Sound familiar? (laughs) This is an exhortation to be fully submitted to the Spirit's work in our lives, to be fully led, to be fully guided, to be fully directed by the Spirit of the living God that lives within the life of a believer. Remember, we were exhorted by Jesus to worship in spirit, truth. This is spirit. Then let's go down to verse 19. That's where Paul emphasizes the need for speaking or singing to each other, again, for the betterment of the body of Christ in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What are those? Those are all guided. Those are all based upon the Word of God. So we are worshiping in spirit, and this one, this points us to the need to worship in truth in spirit, and in truth. And church, this helps us see that we not only worship vertically as an offering to God, but worship also has horizontal impact. It is vertical in focus, and worship is horizontal in impact. We encourage others when we worship our God. When God's people gather together, the fact of the matter is we encourage one another. That's the significance of being here. That's the 
power that happens when we gather together. If you are like me, there is something to be said when you see other people in the lobby that you haven't seen in a week, your brother or your sister, and just the sight of them encourages you because they share your faith. They're on the same path, or on the same journey that you are. And just so seeing them connects us and encourages us. And then we get to hear them when we sing or when we proclaim truth of God's word or when we have a responsive reading. They They're saying it out loud. We can hear them. And that brings a measure of encouragement to our hearts as well. And if you're like me, you are encouraged when you do both, when you see and hear other believers proclaim the truth of God in one spirit, in a unified voice. Now, practically speaking, this is one of the reasons why we do responsive readings or corporate readings or catechisms uh, here at Woodside White Lake. That's why they are a regular part of our church experience. We think they're important. Because the faith of individual members of the body of Christ are both encouraged and our beliefs are affirmed when we verbalize those biblical truths together when we stand upon a common conviction, when we stand upon a common truth, our hearts are encouraged. Some of you might wonder, say, well, wait a second, I, I, thought this was a, I thought this was a non-denominational church or a Bible church. Like, isn't the responsive reading or the catechism thing, isn't that like high church? Well, here's the truth. If you do just a quick scan of Christian history, you'll find that corporate readings were practiced in the first century church. They were practiced in the first century, and then they went throughout church history. Now, they certainly ebbed and flowed throughout that time, but then you get to the Reformation, and Martin Luther incorporated corporate readings into his book of worship. And then John Calvin is a guy who would practice these readings in his church and in his ministry. And many of you know that Woodside has Baptist roots, and I want you to know that even the Baptists have corporate readings in some of the Baptist hymnals. They're there. Why? Because they can be a source of encouragement for the body of Christ. Now, I want to just give you a little quick test. We just came out of the Advent season, right? So that was a time where you could turn on the radio and they're playing Christmas songs or Christmas carols. And so you could be literally driving to work or from work or wherever you're going and you can have kind of that little worship moment where silent night comes on the radio. And it's, it's cool, right? But how did that compare to those of you who were here with this room full on Christmas Eve when the body of Christ is gathered and we're holding the candle and we proclaim silent night together and it's the voices of God's people. Isn't that a much more significant and powerful moment? That's what I'm talking about. When we're in the community of faith, we can encourage and affirm the faith of one another. You know, this truth reminds me of a, of a famous quote by a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Many of you uh, are familiar with him. He is a spiritual hero of mine. He was a pastor and an author and ultimately a martyr. And here's what he wrote, and uh, I think it is so applicable for the importance of community and gathering and worship. He says, the Christian needs another Christian, 
who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. He needs his brother solely because of Christ. So believer, I need you to sing. I need you to proclaim the truth of God's word and his goodness and his character in our responsive readings. I need that for my own heart. And here's the reality. So do you. Every single person here today needs that from each other. So, as we consider worship, as we proclaim God's truth in song, that's our vertical worship to an audience of one, but we also have an opportunity to affirm and encourage one another because worship is also horizontal in its impact. Amen.